with Lance Andrews and Aaron Kraft, the SHL podcast, where we chat with experts and get their take on top trends in the fields of industrial and organizational psychology, talent management, and human resources. And today we are privileged to have Derek Hutchinson, who has a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology and is a people insights architect with BetterUp, a coaching AI technology and behavioral sciences firm. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Derek Hutchinson. I am a, a, a people insights architect here at BetterUp, uh, where a lot of my role primarily revolves around uh, how we actually develop and package our insights for, for our partners. One of the things we do is collect so much data. So a big part of my job these days is helping make that data really digestible. So it's like not even only easy on the brain, but easy on the eyes as well, which is like a huge passion point for me. So I'm super excited to be here today to talk about data visualization. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're so thrilled to talk about this topic as we think about um, all of the aspects of HR processes all throughout the employee lifecycle. Data visualization is such a huge part for helping take business leaders along our journeys with us. Um, and we're so excited to chat about how we can ask the right questions of data um, up front, start talking about how to create visualizations and how to make them meaningful. And so what I'd love to do to kick us off is just ask you a little bit about data visualizations and their role in the workforce. So what HR processes can benefit from using data visualization and, and what does that look like? That's a great question. So for me, I think of data visualization as like our ultimate tool to influence. Like when we think about when we wanna impact different parts of the organization, like that's really our medium through which we're able to actually communicate. The, the truth of the matter is that often we're presented with so much incredibly complex data that it takes a lot of, of mental effort to really process it all. I mean, I've I've had op, uh, opportunities where I've you know kind of given a data set and like, oh, you know, Derek, let's 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 find a cool story here. I mean, with that level of guidance, you can ultimately spend an entire day and have actually nothing to show for it um, if you don't have a little bit more structure or you don't have a way to really process it. So the cool thing about data visualization that it ultimately allows us to influence other parts of the organization by distilling things down to their core stories. And that's a big thing I, I will talk about today and something I'm really passionate about is data visualization is a storytelling machine. Like that is what it's there for. It guides you along a journey and it's us to help basically help shepherd people through that journey and good data visualization is going to allow us to, to have that impact. So when I, when there's a problem in, in the organization, there's, there's an issue you want to solve something we want to improve a strong piece of data vis is ultimately going to allow someone that doesn't have that technical knowledge that we do to sit back and really be like, okay, like this is a lot of information, but I can see the natural progression. Like here's my problem statement. Here is the, the sort of thing that I want to remedy. And then here's ultimately a call to action or some of these, a, a strong opinion about what a good call to action should be. And that should all be summated in a single visualization or a build out of visualizations. That's something I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot these days is I'll, I'll start off with like, you know, a small section and I'll build things out live as I talk through it. Because again, that does that narrative driven, that storytelling and brings people through alive. So to answer your question, when I, when I feel like the coolest thing about DataViz is any or place that you want to have a big influence, if you can have something really impactful that can go viral, I mean, that's something we've had with some of our partners. We'll create a visualization, go through talking about like, you know, this is the coaching journey they experienced. Um, ultimately, we are able to like drop that off and those can leave way outside of our presentations. We're talking executive uh, sponsorship can see this, all of a sudden that's driving uh, a strong narrative. So for me, that's what makes DataViz so awesome is its ability to really take the complex, make it easy, and ultimately allow us to have a big impact. 
Absolutely. One of the things that stands out to me is how you mentioned uh, taking people along a journey. And, and that implies you kind of know what you're looking for or you know what questions you're asking. And I know many folks who are out there working in organizations have often been in a situation where they've been presented with data. Here's what our organization collects today. Here's what we want to know. Help me understand what's happening. And, and that set of data might not answer that question. So can you tell me a little bit about how you talk to your partners and, and what that journey looks like as you bring folks along the understanding of you have to figure out what data you want to collect ahead of time, not look at a data set on and retroactively and say, okay, now let's figure it out. Yeah, the, the ideal world through what we're often thrust into in reality is so different, right? Um, I mean, that's something I've struggled with my entire career and something I still struggle with. I, I, I will tell you that I no longer go into any data analysis or data visualization kind of experience without a, a, a plan anymore, because I've had those times, especially early in my career, where I would spend a lot of time trying to find this one specific story or trying to dig through the data. And just, it's, it's a waste of time, ultimately. Um, and it's usually not productive because you will find, you know, aberrant sort of findings. You don't want to, if you're going to be consulting somebody, you should be pretty sure that the data is good and you feel strong about it. And our best sort of attempt at that ultimately is to have a strong data analysis plan ahead of time. And that's something I, I do now. Uh, before we even start collecting data, I'm very transparent about the types of questions we want to ask, the types of analyses that we want to do ultimately on the back end before we start data collection. It's really, really important. Otherwise, you're going to get kind of in this weird sort of state where you're just unable to really you know, you, you're trying to drive something that just might not be there. Or again, you're finding sort of like, eh, like, yeah, it's marginally significant or something, but not that we talk about significance much anymore in, in the applied world, but it is still important for us, again, as responsible stewards of the data, because that's what I think of us as ultimately, is that we are really experts. We know this stuff. It's our responsibility to show compelling stories, but then also responsible stories. So asking the right questions to begin with in terms of what you want to look for is really, really important, um, is what's going to allow us to ultimately uh, get data that's going to be impactful. Um, again, and also just get aligned with people like what they really want to know about and how we can best facilitate it um, and have backup plans when things don't work out, because that's what it happens. But again, positive or negative results are often very interesting for different reasons. And it's still, it's a fun story to tell either way. Yeah. Yeah, Derek. And so I, I guess my, what I'm inferring there, I'm, the word that's popping to my mind is contextualizing. Yep. Talking about telling the story in the, in the context for, I'm assuming when you're telling a story, contextualizing involves thinking of your audience. So what role does it kind of, as you think of different types of audiences, whether it's a technical audience or a business audience, does that shape the way you go about structuring your data analysis plan and then the story you want to tell? Or how does that, how do you work with basically an audience analysis to yeah. structure the way you're going to go about your, your visualization creation? That's a, a great, great question. That is something I think everyone's going to struggle with, but I think it is the question, right? Like your data needs to meet your audience where they are. I mean, like I will, everyone's had, you know, times that aren't as successful as others when they present something. My times that I can think back were my least successful um, data visualizations have been when I've been thrust into a situation where I didn't fully understand the audience. I thought I was going into a technical audience yeah. and I dropped what I think is like, like, no, you do this, right? Like you find like, oh, what's this cool newest visualization? Oh, I saw someone present this. It looks so cool. Let me see how I can like work that into my next presentation. And then you're, you're so focused on trying out this new visualization tool that you don't think about the audience. Um, and I've done that. 
And I've, I've seen the blank stares. I mean, that's a, that's a learning experience when you go in and you see like, this isn't clicking. Um, like, like I'm having to over-explain this visualization. That means I've, I've, I've ultimately failed, right? And in a way, um, you know, your data visualization should be something your, your audience can look at. And with, you know, you, know, you can change your, your visualization based on if you're going to have a talk track or not. Um, I do approach situations where I don't have the time to talk over it very differently than the times where I'm going to be there to help walk people through a journey. But even if I'm there and I can, I'm feeling over explaining, that's a cue to, to be conscious about maybe this is the wrong visualizations for the, for that audience. So I would say, I mean, that is the question. Like I change my visualizations as much as I possibly can to match the technical, like the kind of technical expertise of, of, of who I'm presenting to. And it's hard. It's hard to get it right. I mean, especially from someone that's been in the data viz sort of environment for a long time. Um, I sometimes forget what it's like to not understand what this graphic means, right? And it's so important to ask other people who don't have a technical understanding if they could understand this. I bring my wife in all the time, like, hey, look, if I threw this up in a presentation, would you understand this? <laughs> and if she tells me no, I'll get like, oh, darn, I really like that visualization or no. And I, I, I take advice, but it's so helpful to, to get that feedback and to be open to the feedback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, every Iowa psychologist, or most of them coming into an applied setting probably gets disappointed when they don't get applause at, you know, statistical significance. Look at this. Isn't this great? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? I, yeah. I don't think I've had applause for a presentation in <laughs> academia either. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to dive in into how you actually create these to tell the story. Um, and, and I'll ask one question before we do that. And, and it's something that I know I've seen in my, both as an internal consultant and as an external consultant, I've seen leaders do things where they might see a visualization and then they get excited and then they start drawing a lot of other inferences or asking big questions and say, now let's look at this, look at this. And then you end up in kind of a fishing or a data mining situation or maybe drawing really uh, big um, conclusions from data that just don't are, aren't supported. So when you run into a situation like that, how do you walk your clients through that? How do you kind of bring them along the journey about what is the, what is that aha moment, but then where does, where's maybe the limit of that aha and, and keep them um, on, on the right track there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That is, and then I think another eternal struggle in the field. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've now, in my career, I feel pretty empowered to, to push back. I mean, that's something you kind of ultimately have to do. If the data is not there, I mean, at the end of the day, leadership team, I they make a decision, I'll, I'll, I'll ultimately go with it. But I do come up with a strong opinion and I do back it up. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why generally I show the data that I show. And there's reasons why I don't show some data. Because again, it might be a small sample size. It may be, yeah, yeah, it's just significant, but it's a huge sample size. And I'm not going to, there's no like clinical meaningfulness here. I'm not going to draw into that. Um, so that's an, another whole reason why I stop bringing statistical significance into a lot of my executive meetings, because it just gets in, you know, I don't want them to get focused on like one little point of criteria. Um, often it's because in my case, I'm dealing with huge sample sizes. So it just loses its meaning in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really being feeling empowered that again, you are a responsible steward of the data. It's your job ultimately to know when to draw the line or if you have to get pushed on something, couch it. I always, I'm very explicit about like, 
we have a low, we have small sample size here. I don't know how stable I trust these results. I would be, I would, I would be apprehensive about drawing like, you know, or planning my organizational like leadership development around this like particular small sample. Um, but again, what I try to do ultimately is I try to limit those questions on the front end. I do my best to speak to things that I know are in their mind. Again, it's like getting into the audience's perspective. I really try to focus in on what they're probably going to ask, have a response ready that's going to avoid me going back in and digging in this data too far and cutting it too much. Um, that's going to almost ultimately provide data that I wouldn't trust. I mean, at the end of the day, if I wouldn't, if I wouldn't just my organizational practices based on my data that I'm not going to recommend somebody else does. Um, and it's just like, be that line of defense, I think is really important and feel empowered to do so. It sounds like you, you, are you putting boundaries around like explaining what the limitations of the data are to begin yeah. with, just putting those boundaries up in advance? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm pretty explicit when it comes to a lot of these sort of questions. Like, we just don't have the data for that. Will be something else. Yeah. Say. Like, yeah, that's a great, that's a fantastic question. That's something we need to do more in-depth analysis in. But right now, we just don't have the tools to answer that question. And I'll respond with that all the time. And I usually that, you know, most organizations that respect their analysts and respect the sort of what we're doing, understand that. And I think ultimately they're respectful that we're not going to lead them astray by giving them, you know, uh, making, letting them make conclusions on data that, again, I wouldn't feel comfortable making conclusions based on. Absolutely. And that reminds me so much of a story that happened to me, believe it or not, just last week where um, I was in a, a, a meeting with a client. We were talking about some findings we had, really interesting things. These we were pretty excited about in terms of um, where should we go with uh, an assessment program and what did we learn and how can we grow from that and to make this even more powerful. But there were some stakeholders in the room who were really familiar and intimate with the project and some who were newer to that and the failure to set up exactly the scope and boundaries of what we looked at up front led to a lot of skepticism later in the conversation about what was what, what we could and couldn't draw and why we could and could not answer certain questions. And so when you talk about setting the boundaries of a conversation up front or being very clear up front, here's what we set out to do. So here's what we asked and here's, here's what we've collected data so that we could answer these questions. Here's what you can and can't expect from what we're about to go through and then walking through the journey um, I think it really leads to the more meaningful outcome and brings people along uh, it, really up front. So that's such a great reminder for all of us, no matter where we are in our careers, that we always have to set that stage. And it's just such a powerful reminder. Yeah, I mean, ambiguity ambiguity is your biggest enemy, ultimately, right? Yes. You leave things open for interpretation. That's where you, again, you can't control you, can, you, do, you can't control except instead how people interpret the data. How you present it is going to affect the interpretation. That's, yes. that's a fact. But if you leave things too open, sometimes it allows for un, un, unintentional interpretations that may be wrong um, or like not probably the best or, you know, could be dangerous in some circumstances. Um, so to remove that as much as you can from the front end and be really clear and crisp on your visualizations, that is so important. Again, I stress the idea that you have the problem statement at the beginning, you know what the issue is, you guys are low here, we have some issues here. Here are some key ways that we can predict it and uh, fix it. And here are my suggestions, right? Being very clear on that is going to serve you so much because any room you leave for a lot of like extraneous interpretation can ultimately have that effect and it makes your job that much harder. Excellent. So we've talked a little bit about asking the right questions of your data. We've talked about setting the context up front and being very clear. And we've talked about 
um, creating visualizations that are right for the situations, very simple to understand. And as a lot of folks are starting down this journey, they're going to think, okay, all that makes a lot of sense, but it's a little bit intimidating to think about creating data visualization and what that actually means. So Derek, I, it's my understanding that it's our privilege to get to see some visualizations today and learn a little bit about how you create and think through um, creating the right tools for that. Yeah, I'm super excited for this part. This is, again, like this is a passion of mine. I love making new data viz. I love experimenting. You know, I love the, the, the calls that go really well. And I feel like I've unlocked insight or an aha moment for my partners. And again, the ones that are learning experiences that yeah. don't go so well, I take that back and I develop myself as an individual and I get better at this. It's, it's fun. Um, so I'm super excited to, to share some stuff. I think the, the first sort of general thing I will talk about is kind of like, and this is like kind of a look into what I'm, where my headspace is recently, um, is I've been really focused on this idea of how do we take things out of the aggregate and focus a lot more on the individual. That's something I think in our, the, my sort of, you know, part of the world on leadership development, something I like to really focus in on. Um, and I, I always, I love this visualization. I've, I've shown this before. It's, it's not my visualization, but I think it's super cool. This is like a visualization I share all the time in terms of uh, why it's so important to think about individual level data. So this is just an idea of like, so what you basically see here for those who can't see the screen is that there's a huge array of different types of distributions that are going to get you the same numbers in the, the day if you're just looking at like means, right? The data could be shaped like an X, it can be shaped like a star, there can be a dinosaur in the data, right? But at the end of the day, it has the same mean, it has the same standard deviation and the same correlations. So that's so much of that nuance that you lose when you spend a lot of time focused on uh, just means. So bar charts, I mean, I use, I use a ton of bar charts. I mean, you can't get out of it. At the end of the day, like I... I spend a lot of my time thinking how to reinvent that and, and spend a lot of time there. But, you know, it's it's hard, especially for executive audiences. Like you, you can't go too far or, or you'll lose people. So this is something that's big for me. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how to get outside of this. This is something that we've been working to better up a whole bunch. We've already started moving to distribution views and talking about them in a much more descriptive way. So this is one of our, our visualizations that I've helped be involved in the creation with. It's really focused on the idea of like, where are people falling in terms of their resilience, right? Um, so like, this is sort of like taking our assessments, really kind of visualizing an entire distribution across. So what you're seeing here is, you know, like here are the people that are the most suffering in terms of their mental health. 5% versus like most people in this kind of languishing stage, only like 35 to 40% of people are, are in the thriving plus section, right? This is just a much cooler way than having a bar chart or doing some sort of splits. It's just a cool way to kind of see where your whole population lives. And then we start talking about things like, how do you have shifts, right? This is something I love to do nowadays. Instead of just focusing on those means, I talk about this is how are we able to shape and shift the distribution of your individuals. You know, you can think of all your people normally distributed and we are able to kind of move everybody over so that the, you know, the average yes has gone up, which is super cool. But what does that actually mean? Well, that could mean you have 60% fewer leaders that are now low in uh, resilience. Could mean you have 1.7 times more that are high in resilience. And breaking it down that way and really like, you know, little nuggets that people can take with them and be able to really digest the data in a lot more positive way than saying, hey, the score went from 50 to 58. That's a X percent, you know, 16% increase or whatever. This is just a lot more uh, in depth and a lot more fun conversations come from it. And it ultimately is something that you can do in pretty like simplistic softwares. You don't have to have anything advanced to do something like this. Honestly, most data visualizations, less is more. Yeah. Yeah, I think showing the showing the impact of some kind of intervention is always like, what did this do? What we spent this much time or this much effort doing? What did, and just something simple as this two 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 lines and then intersecting. Don't overcomplicate it because if you're spending 
<laughs> if it takes you 10 minutes just to explain what the visuals mean, you're, you, you've wasted it. Exactly. This is, I like how clean this is. And it tells a big story here. And it's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I struggle with it all the time. Like, I won't, I won't lie. I will create overly complicated visualizations. I do it today. I try to sense check. You learn. It's a process. But I mean, I always try to start pretty high. And then I just start pulling. Like, what is the most that I can take out? And you still understand what I'm talking about at the end of the day. So I, I, have, I have people push me on that all the time. And that's such a useful kind of experience is having people push back. I'm like, all right, this, I can interpret it this way or this way. And I'm like, okay, well, I actually hadn't thought about that, you know, other interpretation. And again, to my point earlier about removing ambiguity, yeah. um, that's something you got to shut up you have to kind of cut off early and make sure that you're hyper clean with your annotations and the, and the way you actually call people to action or call out things inside your relations. Yes. Uh, the part of the story I'm seeing here also is well, there's a couple of things. One, you don't need to use incredibly complex tools and you don't need to create incredibly complex visuals. Actually, the simpler, the better. And I'm also seeing that in each of these situations, you're answering one question at a time. So shifting the resilience of our leaders. We're only talking about resilience here. We don't have a chart that says, here are the 15 key competencies we measured. And in one key visual, we're going to walk you through all of this information. You're bringing them, uh, you're bringing your audience along one insight at a time. Yep. And I think that's so key. Again, you're painting a picture, you're telling a story. So that is super important ultimately is that you're able to break it out into, into pieces. Absolutely. And I can see this being so valuable. Uh, we've talked about this in the context of leadership development and whether it's, you know, we're training leaders to become more resilient or we're, you, you showed us the visualization, um, the bar or the bell uh, chart there. And it had um, kind of that where the population stands in terms of thriving to suffering. And, and that one's interesting too, because it just it's kind of that simple, you could create this in, you could create something like this in a tool like Excel and, and bring people along that journey with you. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, you've obviously added interesting touches here. You've taught, you've looked um, at interesting visuals. Maybe you've, you know, used a marketing team to brush it up, but this is something that doesn't require a ton of um legwork in order to get some of that interesting insight out of it, which I think is really attractive to some folks who are thinking about getting into this area, but they're not sure how to do it. They're thinking, what tools do I need? Can I afford those tools? Do we have the budget? Do I have to go to training to learn how to do it? And, and there's a message here that's start simple. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I will tell you, I don't use a single paid visualization tool. So the combination that I use now, uh, I do primarily most of my work in R nowadays, but again, that has a really high, steep learning curve and is not something I expect. Most people on my team don't know how to use R. I use R because I love data visualization and I love doing a data analysis in R. It's just so fun for me, but it, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, but I, you know, I actually didn't know R before I got my job. Um, I was 100% self-taught on the job over the last few years um, and feel like I've gained a lot of knowledge that mostly just because I'm just trying to find out new visualizations and you learn so much along the way. Um, but before that, primarily I was using Excel. Like that was, again, I really, there's lots of resources online you can find to, this, to do this, but you can really push Excel to a 
pretty far limit if you're willing to put in a little extra time to see like, how do I play with those presets? Um, I actually have a, another visualization that I'll, I'll quickly go to. This just has some examples of like, you know, back early on in my, in my career, some like visualizations that I've all made in Excel. I mean, things like this, like benchmark line on um, this graphic down here at the bottom, that's actually just using an error bar in a different way. So I can have benchmarks, so I can tell people where they are, you know, to, to, to lower the number of bars that I have, for instance. These like small multiples over here, making multiple graphs into one, allowing to have like these sort of pyramid graphs as well. And these that kind of show you the differences between groups. All these use like, they're not like default graphics in Excel, but if you put in the time, you can find ways to kind of tweak some of the things to make what you want. And this includes like, you can shade the areas between lines. You can do a lot of stuff. Um, and it's just about putting in that time and that effort to like get there and it'll be great. Um, and there's also so many free tools. Like I use things like Flourish and Raw Graphs online that allow us to make maybe more complicated graphs that I can't quite make in Excel. Thinking of like alluvials and like other sort of graphs and that sort of wheel the house, but they're free. Use online, drop in your presentation. Ultimately, I will say like, this is the least important part. The most important part is getting your story straight, getting the data you want to show and the message you want to communicate straight first. And these are just going to do it. Clean, simple, easy to understand visualizations are that like, you know, that's like the sweet topping on top of the cake you're ultimately building, right? Um, and it's really founded on having a strong story and being able to lead people through that story. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah. What's the Nate Silver book that, that's finding the signal through the noise? I mean, just did that, the simple example of changing the benchmark from a bar chart, just this could be right there with, with them to putting a horizontal line across, like just making that a lot more clean. Cause otherwise you see it as the same type of information. So just very simple with a free tool. I like what you did there just to make it very, very clean. Remove the ambiguity, as you said, you know, if there's ambiguity, then you've introduced the challenges that you didn't need to. So I, I really like this. No, exactly. Yeah, again, there's just so much more you can do with these things. I mean, I've started to play with, with other sections. This one, ultimately, I, I did create an R, but another idea of what I've been showing in my ability to show change over time, move away from those bar graphs. I mean, I, those kind of bar graphs you saw in the Excel sheet, I do that all the time. It's sometimes unavoidable. I have to. Even like moderately technical audiences, I can do stuff like this, where again, we had an intervention to uh, increase feedback through coaching. Um, and I was able to track the people in the bottom 25%. And you can kind of see low, high to begin with, and then post where those people ended up. So this is, again, just another version of a distribution. Except you can see every single leader that we did as a data point. These are called bee swarm graphics. So you potentially, what you see here is a, a swarm of bees, a swarm of data points, and you can follow where they go. Um, and this has been super impactful and helpful to show like how we're shifting that same distribution I, I showed earlier. Um, and this, for people that kind of understand distributions and are find this stuff interesting, this is super cool. You could even up-level it more. Like I will pull in qualitative data and I'll color another dot in there, a single color. And I will follow that person. Like this person started off low. Now they're in the, now they're over here in the high group. Here's their story. Here is the, what they said they wanted to work on before the intervention. This is what they worked on. This is what their coach said about their progress. This is the big breakthrough they had and share that as a linear story because people remember stories. So if I can, they can see this data. They might not remember exactly how this is. They might remember just like, okay, people were low. Now they're not low. But if I can also take one data point of what that experience was for that individual who was low and is now no longer low, they're going to remember that one. And that's going to really help solidify the point that I want to get across. 
Yeah, to your point earlier about taking out of the aggregate, right? This is uh, those that are just listening on the podcast and just seeing the, the colors of the dots pull through. So it's not just bar charts that represent whole groups. You see the individuals and the groups aggregated here. So it's aggregate and individual data. I really like how you operationally, you know, a good demonstration of how you've actually done that. Really cool. What's so neat about this chart too, this beehive chart is uh, being able to pull Derek, just like you said, this individual person's story through to say, look, you might have these one or two people who are still low and uh, somebody's tendency might be to target the one person and say, look, we still have somebody that's not effective with feedback skills. And that points to me that this didn't work. And you can take folks on this journey to say, yes, this is not nothing that we're ever going to do because we're working with people is a silver bullet. But let me take you on the journey to show you how we've made an impact and how so many people have grown and, and really moved the needle at large. And so what you're doing is showing the aggregate result and the power of that and pulling through the individual threads of, of the story to, to help bring people along that this overall and overwhelmingly has been a powerful intervention. And I think that there's just a lot of power in this simple, I like to think of something like this as the simplicity on the other side of complexity, right? You had to probably think a lot about how am I going to present this to tell the right story and then bake it down into something really simple to tell that story. So as we're thinking about um, getting started in this area, do you have, Derek, for us some best practices for folks just thinking about how might I, where do I start, um, some, some tips or things to avoid as folks get started on their own data visualization journeys? Yeah, great question. So for me, I think the biggest one is really setting the story early. Um, this is one of the biggest things I often get dropped into situations where I'm working with partners. I don't have the context and I, it's on me to ask, uh, a lot of people that do have the context don't always kind of understand that what it's like to be pulled into a situation and how much power we have over what we can present. Again, oftentimes we have huge data sets so many moving variables in here that we can present. I really need to know, I, best case I'm embedded. If I'm not, then I really need to know what what I need to go after. So being really purposeful when you first start, you know, like asking, okay, what is the context of the person? Who's, who's my audience? Again, who am I presenting to? That's gonna have a huge impact. So asking all of these questions early on is gonna be so helpful. Otherwise you'll get in this weird spot where you'll just keep digging and digging through the data to try to, to do something. You get hung up on it and then you find out that's not even important to the person who's in the meeting. And it could have been important to the person you're talking to. Nobody said anything like, oh, that sounds great. But then again, it doesn't land. You get those blank stares. Again, when you do a really good, powerful data visualization, the moment you know you really nailed it is when you see like the face light up and you see like insight. Again, we're guiding people towards insight. So if you're able to kind of get capture that aha moment from them where they can finally feel like they've unlocked something in themselves, then that's when you've really succeeded. But again, the, the foundation of what you do is, is so important. Once you get that, then it's, you know, look up some novel visualizations, think about like the level of sophistication. Could I put something like this bee swarm plot up? Would that make sense to them or, or would it not? And then adjust. Uh, don't get too stuck on only showing data one way, because again, depending on the sophistication of their data skills, it's, it's much more fun. Like again, if I was presenting to myself, I would do way different than if I was going to a really like senior executive team who's again, just doesn't have the data fluency. Um, and my message would be different too. Again, the, the, the less data fluency they have, the more I think you need to be careful about guiding in the correct direction and of interpretation for all those reasons we talked about earlier. That makes a ton of sense. Thank you for those tips that purposeful upfront, 
minding the audience, knowing what they care about. Those are great tips as folks get going. And as we're wrapping up here, is there anything you can leave us with as we think about best practices from going to interesting findings and data to taking it to action? How do you help people take this data from the aha, wow, that's interesting to what do I do with it now moment? That is like the hardest part of any sort of data visualization. And I won't say that I've perfected that. That's something that I'm always working to refine my ability to get people to like get to the action stage. But I will say it's it's good. The best thing to do is to really embed some sort of call to action within your visualization at the end of the day. Again, and something we might have like, all right, so we have low engagement scores, for example. Um, you know, I might do a visualization that pulls out, you know, these are the top predictors of engagement, right? Like we know this from our data, maybe it was an external data source, maybe it was a literature review. I know these are the key things and here are the ones that we're low on. So let's talk about specific behaviors that we need to build as an organization, or we have, you know, organizational cloud measures. And I know these are super important for our engagement. What are the specific areas that we need to work on? And then give recommendations on how we can do that with the resources we have. Generally, I'm an external consultant, so I don't have as quite as many levers that I can pull as somebody who's kind of embedded within a team. But at the end of the day, I try really hard to come up with much more specific things and leave on that, you know, again, start with that problem statement, solve the knowledge, give impart knowledge onto others. And at the very end, make sure you have something that can like be pro provocative ultimately to help them think through. Again, you might not have the right answer. And also I always recommend be pretty humble about that. Like, especially as an external consultant, I, again, even if I get a great briefing, I'm never going to have all the information as somebody who's embedded in the same way. It's just, that's just a limitation of, of, of my, my scope of my work. Um, so I'll come in with strong recommendations and then they, they land or they don't, but I work with somebody else in a conversation to work through that next part. And that can spark a whole nother set of analyses or something down the line as well. Yeah, what a great reminder that we don't have to have all the answers just because we've helped find that the insight that we have partners who can help us find that right next step. And, um, and that's probably better and more impactful to work with those partners to find that right path to action. Yeah, absolutely. Heck, and those conversations are the most fun too. Um, just being able to have a conversation about data and what this could mean and how we can work to improve it. I've had some of the coolest conversations with partners with that, and it's fun. I mean, I, I'm energized by data. It's just who I am as a person, but like, again, it's just, it's a good time. So again, having that mindset, that growth mindset ultimately is, is really, really helpful when you're you know experimenting with data viz. Absolutely. Well, Derek, this has been such an invigorating conversation. I've enjoyed seeing how you've created visualizations, talking about how you prepare for projects, how you walk folks through the findings and, and how you really set things up for success up front. Um, this has been awesome. We've gained a lot of insights. And if folks want to learn more, where might they go about finding more information about how you've gone about creating your process or data visualization in general? Yeah, great question. So in at BetterUp, a lot of my stuff can usually stays around with partners. I work pretty closely with who I, who I work with. But every time we come up with cool insights that are applicable to the rest of kind of HR space or just leadership development, we usually find a version like that languishing chart. Well, marketing will get some of my graphs, spruce them up a little bit, and then they'll make it onto our blog. So I recommend checking out uh, BetterUp's blog, which you can find through one of our social media accounts. It'll be uh, regularly update and it kind of keeps a good pulse of like all the cool stuff that I'm, I'm running that ultimately makes it out to the external audiences. And it's again, always really fun because I get to work. Like I actually, I like working with the marketing team in a lot of ways to just have those conversations because it's really fun to, to talk to that audience as well. So that would be my, my plug is to, is to check out our blog. 
Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and are grateful for the insights you've shared with us. And I hope that we will get to chat again soon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, Derek.